Good CEOs build and maintain successful companies. Great CEOs build and maintain influential ones. We're connecting with successful business leaders on how to create the impact within your organization that transforms it into one of influence at the CEO Roundtable. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce. Welcome to the CEO Roundtable podcast. Today I'm joined by Lou Sandoval, President and CEO of Halo Advisory Group. Lou, thank you for being here. Tony, I'm so glad to be here, and thank you for being so welcoming. No, what an honor, and what a story you have. It's uh, you know, it really is an honor to be able to not only share, but to to know you and, and to to be able to impart some wisdom on our community that I think is much needed, uh, and especially perfect time with this book that you've just written. Right. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent timing. Excellent timing. So you had quite the career, though, uh, but originally Southside guy from Chicago. I'm a Southeast Side guy. I like to to distinguish that. Very very much Southeast Side guy. But uh, yeah, I grew up in a, you know, blue collar working class family. And, uh, and like most Southside kids, you know, grew up in a in a neighborhood that were a lot of people that looked like me. Um, But then, you know, when I started kind of uh, unfolding my wings, um, I started you know, operating in, in circles where people didn't look like me, which was obviously the big, the first shift. Now, you know, a lot of times we're, we're product of our environment and you can say that depending on where you grow up, you know, there's kind of an outcome already predetermined for you. Right. But you, your, your path was one that you don't hear about quite often in, in terms of like the success, but also just the journey itself. Like you said, the, that you're surrounded by people who look like you, and then all of a sudden you're in an environment where people don't look like you and, and tell me what that was like growing up that um that you saw that you were different or that you were put on a different path and uh, what was different for you than a lot of your peers well i think you know the the path least travel is the way i've kind of like to talk about my story because i think there's you can be a victim of your environment if you choose to and i think a lot of us have decisions life is a series of decisions and one can beget the next um but just because you make decisions that might put you in a predicament doesn't mean that that's where you're stuck right. the rest of your life so for me it was always about trying to um i've been a lifelong learner my entire you know since i was very young very curious um initially uh, very interested in, and still today i'm very interested in stem and science so that kind of would say predetermined my first interest, which is I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Wow. So I studied um, science. I, I went in and majored in biochemistry, minor in okay. physics and chemistry, and thought I wanted to be a doctor, got accepted into medical school, and then had a little bit of a change of heart right before I was about to start. And um, then first major pivot in my life that... And what was that moment specifically that caused you to... I mean, that's pretty drastic. You go your entire life, and then all of a yeah. sudden you're like, eh... Well, you know what? I think it came down to um, I was not present or fully present and acknowledging of of what was driving me. Okay. And you know, I and when I started to look back at my life, I saw that there were a lot of little telltale signs that I was an entrepreneur and I'd like to build things. You know, there was a sh- I, I had a shocking moment in high school because you know you do these career you do these career aptitude tests, yep. and in doing these tests, sometimes it'll tell you that you're determined, you're best being one of the following three careers. So mine came back my freshman year. I remember it said, you know, you should be a auto mechanic or a a plumber or a construction worker. Interesting. I'm like, wow. And I was, I went in to talk to my guidance counselor and I was mortified, you know, I'm like, I'm going to school. Why am I going to school if this is what it's it's telling me? He's like, listen, he took it, he folded it in half and put it in a folder. He's like, we're never looking at that again. Don't ever let a test or anyone tell you what you can become 
He goes, you are interested in science? That's the direction you want to go. So we did that. And so that's where really I kind of got myself into, you know, continually challenging the status quo of who I thought I was going to be. But going into this education thing, um, going into biochemistry, I thought that I wanted to be a doctor. And then I started seeing the world you know, change around me. I started talking to mentors that had gone to school a few years ahead of me as they were coming back and coming out of medical school. And they're all saying, hey, you know what? This is Hillary Care 1.0, you know, so uh, man, the, the arrival of managed care. So everybody's saying, you know, um, this isn't medicine anymore. You know, you're a cog in the wheel. I, I took on medicine to help and, and heal people. Mm. And I'm just a a machine now yep. that just is in charge of seeing patients. So that was unappealing to me. So, um, and, and I had this fire inside of me of building things, maybe not construction wise, but building businesses and being an entrepreneur. So I decided a um, chance of, uh, you know, I said when one door closes, another one opens as uh, I had already pulled the trigger on pulling out of medical school, got some of my, as much of my security deposit back as I could. And um, I, I get a telegram telling me from an Abbott Laboratories up north saying, hey, listen, we'd like to have you come interview for uh, this program we've got. So I did, and off my trajectory went in the direction of the business side of, we'll call it science. Yeah. So, I mean, your career was spent um, in biotech, consumer goods, and technology companies, right? right. And, and kind of the gamut of everything from startups to, like you said, Abbott. Lab. Corporations, yeah. right, right. What was the, the, the takeaway from that as far as this entrepreneurial spirit, being creative, but then, you know, g being involved at, at, at these levels that are great experiences, right? But not necessarily that entrepreneurial right. path yet. Well, I think I think it, it's taking ownership of the situations you're given. And, and, and even in a, in a corporation, it's possible to be an entrepreneur. The right environment, the right corporation. I think if you take ownership of your role and your responsibilities, you can be an entrepreneur, which is basically being – an entrepreneur just inside of an organization, inside of a, a, a larger company. Yeah. And certain companies foster that. I was lucky that Abbott did. Really? And they allowed me to kind of do that. And a lot of my corporate experience was with companies that I chose to be involved with, not necessarily. So I looked at it like, oh, Abbott sought me out, but yeah. I also made sure that Abbott was the place that I wanted to be at. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of... was an alignment a of values. Yeah, an alignment of values, exactly. 100%. So what was it for you that at, at that point, you know, well, here, let's, let's go take a step back mm -hmm. because you mentioned mentors and I think that's something that early on, um, you know, to have early on in, in your life is such a benefit, but it's not something that even we talk to, you know, grown men and, and they've gone their entire lives without having that. What benefit... Did you see, or and, and could you impart as far as wisdom to those that don't have one, right? As to the benefits of having one, and especially early on in, in your career or even in your education. Right. I, I think it's essential to your core of who you are. Whether even if you were, think about it, if you're a tradesman, there's apprenticeships, and in those apprenticeships, you have mentors. So it, it, this, the essence of it is built. But as a professional or somebody that has a growth mindset, it's important to seek people. Who you might who you might go to for advice and in, in, in different inflection points um, it might start out with that father an uncle uh, a neighbor might be that person for me I had many I was surrounded by a lot of strong male role models and also a lot of strong female role models as well my mother my aunts you know neighbors um, and and in then in being involved in scouting for me obviously I had my scout master and my assistant scout master who were simple guys 
but they were giving of themselves and their time to mentor children that didn't look like them to help them become somebody. And I'm sure that had a huge impact on you. Tremendous, tremendous. And I I, want to know, just because, you you know, about the scout thing, but also that, um, I mean, sailing is a big part of your life, right? And and you're part of the Hall of Fame. Yep, I am. I was inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, last year. Congratulations. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, You know, and and that's one thing where, you know, trying different things for me and scouting and being younger, um, I I was invited to join a scout troop, and that led to just kind of continuing to pursue scouting per se. And then one summer I went to scout camp and learned how to sail there. No, oh, no way. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what lit the fire. But obviously coming back, you know, we didn't have a boat. We didn't belong to a yacht club. I had, I lived a block from from the lake um, and the steel mill, of course. But uh, but I never got out on, out on the water. I went in the water. Wow. You know, you go swimming, yeah, but yeah. never got out of, on the water. So uh, for me, that was a spark, a little spark. I love the feeling of the wind in my hair, gliding on the lake, um, you know, a sunset sail, um, and learning my merit badge. And then later on when I was working at Abbott, you know, colleagues would say, hey, listen, we're going to go sailing out of Waukegan Harbor or Wilmette Harbor on Thursday after work. You want to sail with us? So I'm like, it became a way to, to, to build camaraderie with my colleagues and make friendships and solidify work relationships. And, you know, it just it, it, it evolved from there. My career took me to Seattle. I then started sailing out of a yacht club in Seattle and no um, sailing the same type of boats I was sailing in Waukegan and Wilmette. Wow. And then just, you know, um, I decided to start a, start a side hustle, um, you know, serving clients' boats. Um, these were, so I, I had, as customers, I had, you know, physicians and chiefs of surgery and all kinds of things. So in, in the rapport building process, I would talk to them or I'd see a picture of a boat in the back or a model or a ship's bell. And I'm like, hey, tell me about that that ship's bell you got on your desk. And I'm like, oh, it's from my very first boat. I'm like, oh, you boat? What kind of boat do you have? You know, so I'd hear the story. I've got a boat, but I don't use it a lot. I got a boat, but I don't use it a pot. A problem, right? So I started thinking. Was that right, a pretty recurring theme? Yeah, it was a recurring theme from yeah. a lot of the guys that I talked to. While I don't have the time to care for it, it just sits in a harbor, and my family doesn't like it as much as I do. So <laughs> I, you know... I started to hear that a lot, and then I was already ingrained in the community. So I got a bunch of vendors together, you know, a, a diesel mechanic, a guy that did odds and ends repairs, and a rigging guy, and basically said, listen, if I run all my business to you guys, give me a deal, I'll, 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 you'll be my sole vendors. And I started going to these guys. I said, listen, if I could take care of your boat, you know, manage it, make sure it's ready to go, or if you're sailing shorthand or entertaining clients, have, have a crew ready for you to go out on the boat, would that be worth X for you, you know, a month. And so we started managing their boats and, cool. and, and running the business through these vendors. And it gave me access to the water because I didn't have a boat. So I, I would then get out on the water with them. And next thing you know, they're saying, hey, listen, you ever, you ever dream of crossing the Pacific Ocean? I'm like, of course, all the time, you know? And and, and they're like, well, we're th- I'm thinking of doing the Trans-Pacific or I'm thinking of doing the Vic Maui. <laughs> and next thing you know, like, Luke, can you put the project together to get the boat there and get a crew and get it all provisioned? And, you know, you're obviously going to be my crew boss. So wow. we did that. And so that's what led to me sailing across the Atlantic and or the Pacific and <laughs> down the Pacific coast and to Mexico and different places. Wow. What, I mean, that had to be a crazy experience, though. a crazy was, awesome experience. Crazy awesome is right, you know. So there's some there's some... Uh, harrowing moments that I that I live, but you know the nice thing about it is it gave me an outlet. 
you yeah, know, yeah. and it and it allowed me to kind of do something that I had was having fun in, and it came in a part part of my life when, I mean, I was single, and there's a lot of things I could have got being myself into, some good, some not so great, for sure. Um, but it, it really allowed me to focus my time and and do those things, and 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 I, I was getting out of it the adventure. I was in this thrill seeking moment of my of my life. I had. Um, in my youth, created a bucket list when I was 18. And so I had created all these things that I wanted to do before I died. And a lot of those things I was able to check off during That's that period amazing. of time. That's amazing. And what I'm hearing too is just the creativity of finding a way to, people talk about that work-life balance, but mm-hmm. it's really about finding a way to make that happen for yourself in a way that, you know, you're not working extra hard for it, right? And, right. and you're actually benefiting from that. Right. What lessons do you take away that you have in your book, but also just from the that side hustle that you're starting to see more of that now, right? right? Of people taking on side hustles for whatever reason. It could be that they need a creative outlet and they need to make a little bit extra money or they're looking to transition out of their, their career. Right. What advice would you give to people in that space now and, and some of the takeaways that you learned from having done this? So the advice I would give them is really um, identify the things that you feel are, uh, have a problem affiliated with them. You know, and for me, that problem that was recurring with these clients was that they basically did not have unfettered access to their boat or that having a boat was somewhat problematic for them in mm-hmm. that they didn't have people that could take care of it. So that was, I heard that theme recurring. And for some people, it might be like, you know, I like in my current line of business, I, I, I mentor um, early stage founders and, and help them scale their business and, and hearing their stories of, again, how they identified a problem for one, one, one of my clients, they identified a problem in, in, in their child when they were younger. And so they developed a product to be able to deal with their child's problem. And, and that, that they're now taking that product to market. So again, we, we're, we're encounter, we, we encounter a lot of different ways uh, that things that if, if this was only different, you know, so it's taking that and then taking it the rest of the way, the monetization path, you know, so it's really being open, being a lifelong learner, being creative and being a critical thinker. So what can be done, you know, for some people, it's like, like, think of it. Would you ever, um, have thought 10, 15, 20 years ago that you'd jump in somebody's car and go for a ride. Right, right, you know? right. You know, I mean, but, but, but now it, it's kind of the way we all get around on Ubers, right? Normal. And then with somebody coming up with the problem that, you know what, the taxi cab racket is just ridiculous. So what if, you know, and I think it's, it's living in that what if, and that's the advice I would give. Live in the what if. Absolutely. I mean, that is great advice. And, and I don't think too many people even live in the now to see the what if, right? right. It's always thinking about the fear of the future, not so much as creating uh, solutions for it, but more from just identifying the problem, not being a part of the solution. Correct. One of the things that I, I wanted to touch on, too, which is I think is, is so, so interesting how, um, especially just being from Chicago, that you don't think of sailing as being a part of anyone's life, really, right. for that matter. Uh, but especially in the Latino community, I think, you know, just from experience. But that the, the networking part of, of your book and, and, and how important it is for you to, to, to grow your network and, and you know your business as part of that. What did you notice in terms of what you, um, I guess, took away from the networking part of being involved in such a community that is, is a totally different lifestyle than you were probably ever used to growing up, right? Right. No. Oops. See the technology is. Uh, I was trying to. I was trying to turn it off, and it, it picked up. 
Sarah, I'm 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 in a, I'm in a recording. Are you coming home? Oh yeah. What's the plan for tonight? Uh, don't worry. I'll be home in a little bit. Okay. So I'm, I'll see you at home, and then I'll take you to soccer. All right. Um, we'll talk about that when I get home. Okay. Um, All right. All right. right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. My daughter lobbying for not wanting to go to soccer practice. (laughs) It's early lobby. Sorry. That's so funny. I'm sorry. I apologize for the interruption. No worries. It it happens. Um, but yeah, no. So the, the networking part of, of, again, just, uh, you are in this basically other world, right? That for a lot of us, like including myself, I have no idea what that looks like or what you know that entails. But I'm sure that it opened doors into to relationships and and just things that opportunities you probably wouldn't have had otherwise. Yes, and and I think that and that's the nice thing about taking that path least traveled, is that that path least traveled sometimes leads to opportunities, connections. The interesting thing about the sport of sailing is, you know, and and what I've found in my involvement in it is that the common the common theme everybody has is this love for the water. You know, and in yacht clubs, whether you're power or sail, everybody loves the water. They yeah. just go at it a different way. Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like life, you know, really, we all love something, you know, there's all something that drives us, that, that gives us our passion. For me being Latino, I mean, that's just my uniqueness in that. Um, it was, it, it's, it's been a phenomenal uh, experience because it also has triggered in me the need to bring others into the sport. Yeah. So sharing the sport. Any other Latinos? Other Latinos. And yeah. sharing the sport with underserved communities, you know, giving kids that advantage. You know, it's interesting in mentoring children. I talk about it in my book. Um, there's so many kids in Chicago that live less than a mile from the lake and they have never been to the lakefront, yeah. Yeah. you know? They've never left Little Village. They've never left Pilsen. They've, they've never, never been in a wherever. skyscraper. Or, or, exactly. Or things like that. We just take for granted, we, right? Things we take for granted. And and, and so it's those experiences that bec- can become life transformative for them. And, and that's why I think it's, you know, like with our daughters when they were younger, we tried to expose them to as many things, positive things as possible, because you never know which one's going to be the one that says, I want to do that. I want to be a pilot. I want to be um, um, a sailboat, you know, captain or, you know, or I want to be a, a doctor or a lawyer, you know. So talk to me about the book, the, the Tenacity mm-hmm. for Life, right? It says lessons in life, business, and the world around us. Right. Who is that written for specifically? Because I'm hearing you have this desire to, to really take your experiences and, and, and teach those who maybe couldn't imagine having access to a life like that. Right. So, so I wrote the book. The book is a sort of as a reflection on my life at this point in time um, to be able to use it as a mirror to show others that, hey, you know, here's this one guy who grew up in a blue-collar community, whose dad worked in a steel mill, whose dad and whose mom and dad had um, less than a high, well, high school or less education, and basically oldest of four kids, and uh, and was able to go to college and make something of himself, and 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 go on to experience different things: sailing, business you know, startups, just life, and use those events, regardless of what setbacks may have happened, to push himself forward. And that's what really that lesson is. Because, you know, 
and we've learned this, you know, I think everybody got to the pandemic and, and it was a major shutdown yeah. for what happened. You know, everybody's used to their life as was. And everybody talks about before the pandemic. But, you know, after the pandemic, it's like people are still a little bit paralyzed. You know, they're still kind of, I'm like, I don't know how to go back and go back to what I used to do. And I'm like, all right, you just, you just kind of move, keep moving. You know, you, you keep moving and keep making the best of it. And that's where I think for me in writing the book, it was my way of sharing that with, with people. And also the thing that really triggered it for me was during the pandemic, you know, and I've journaled since I was 18. So I've always wow. journaled and, you know, wrote you. my thoughts down. It's my way of doing yoga, clearing my mind by putting my thoughts down on paper. Every morning I do that for a little bit and and talk about my experiences from the day prior after I've had a time to sleep on it and the whole thing. But during the pandemic, I had one guy that I was mentoring say, man, nothing ever seems to phase you. You you go from success to success to success. And don't you ever fail? And I'm like, wow, is that the way I come across? And I really kind of thought about it. And I'm like, and that's when I started kind of outlining and framing all of my thoughts into what became the book. And And I'm like, people need to see that you do fail. Everyone fails. But Failing cannot be paralyzed. You, you can't let it paralyze you. It could actually be what you need to transform yourself into what your next opportunity is. And so I started to kind of look at that inside the context of a book and sharing my, we'll call them failures, to show that, hey, for every up, there's a down, but right after that down, it goes back up again. And and really, that's the, that's kind of the theme and the pattern of the book. It, I mean, the book starts out, with the one of the crappiest things to happen to me in my life, you know, and 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 it, and I mean, it drops you right in the middle of that, and then it takes a timeout and takes you back to where it all started and how I got there. But you see that that path, that tenacity was built. The tenacity was built over time by all the different experiences that I had taken on, and how each one of them led to the next, to the next, and kept preparing me. So that's really sort of the, the genesis of the book. I mean, like I said, it was it's uh it's quite the story as as you one shared with me the first time we spoke, I I was like, wow, it does seem like that, like in terms of the successes. But you know, any any story that, that you come across that you think you know it or that you've made this judgment, you usually fall short of the of the reality of it, mm -hmm. right? What what if anything that you've been through that you could say in terms of the mindset aspect of it because i think it's one thing where you have the story and you can and you can share it but if someone says yeah yeah, yeah but that, that's you or you know this is me and it always comes back to, to mindset right mm -hmm. how, how do you tap into that with with and i know it's an individual to individual basis but right. you know how do you get into people's heads as you're mentoring them that that you notice a change that people can receive it versus in one year and out the other right i love to ask i ask myself um, and then I do this when I mentor people and they're, they're stuck. But I, I ask myself personally, so I live in, you know, we'll call it, I live, I live, what I, I walk the walk yeah. and talk the talk. Um, I ask myself, what's the worst that can happen? And what you're going through right now, what's the worst that can happen? And it's interesting because like in the middle of the recession, I'm running my business in that, my wife and I, my wife had just lost her job. Oh, geez. You know, we had um, two daughters. We had a young, we had our, our, our oldest was in preschool. The youngest was in preschool. And we had to pull them out of, out of preschool because, you know, we're like, obviously can't pay them. So can't pay for it. So it's like, 
we, my wife, you know, took care of them at home for a bit until she was able to get reemployed a few years later. But it's like, all right, so let's get down to the basics. What do you need? It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What do you really need to survive? And we talked like, hey, listen, you know your levers. And I think this is what's unique about the Latino community. We come from nothing in most mm -hmm, cases. Right, right, okay? right. So for us, if you go back to nothing, it's just you know how to go back up, right? Yeah. I like one thing that Mark Cuban says, you know, when they, so I was asked once in an interview and they asked Mark Cuban, if you lost it all, how would you survive? He's like, if I lost it all, not a big deal. I know exactly how I'd survive. I'd go get a sales job and in that sales job, I'd, you know, I, I know I can sell. That's the one thing I can do. He's like, and I'd go and I'd save that money up, create seed money, I double down, get a side hustle on it as well. And then now all of a sudden, in a year or two years, I would have enough seed money to start another company. Hmm. And then I'd grow it back up. And I'd be I'd be right back at the top. And 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 that's the mindset. Once you've come from nothing, you've come from humble, you've got nowhere to go. But there's some people that I think when you're you're born at a certain phase in life and your parents have all these things. Comforts, right? It's comforts. Yeah. They they're like, oh, I can't go back, mm -hmm. and they get they get stuck in these entrapments. <clears throat> and um, for for my wife and I, it's like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? If the business goes belly up, you know, it'll be painful, but we'll move in with your mom or my mom, and live out of her room, and you know, save our pennies up, and you know, build it back up. You know, it's like, hey, you lost it all, but you come back. And other generations have done that. You know, the great generation did did that during the Great Depression. Yeah, yeah. You know, baby boomers have done it how many times through yeah. different inflections in stock market and different things or, or silly things that they've done. So it's doable, but it's just you can't look at everything like it's the end of the world. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. It's regenerative. I love that. And it's great advice. Now, as far as looking towards the future and the vision for the future, you know, what, what, what does that look like for you? How, how has that evolved uh, with all these experiences now? What, what do you hope for and what can we expect? Well, I mean, I like what I'm doing right now. I love coaching businesses and helping. I love helping people realize their dream. And I feel it's my, maybe it's my um, guilt, maybe it's my uh, way of looking at the world that it's, I feel that it's upon me to help share the things that I've learned along the way so that people can grow their dynasty and um, learn from the mistakes that I've made, you know, yeah. so that they don't have to remake them. Maybe that's that oldest child syndrome. Maybe that's that, um, you know, the entrepreneurial zest in me. But I, I love uh, that's I think I'm, I'm at that phase where I want to give back. And, and so it's really rewarding for me to talk to founders that have found their problem and they want to create, they've created a product for it. And then now they want to go out and do it and, and to show them, all right, so here's, here's another set of doing things, you know, and another set of eyes to help you do things. And in most cases, they know the answers, but people get stuck. We all get stuck. So it's them being that coach for them. I'm like, all right, you're stuck. Let's separate what is from the drama and what you're making it mean. And what's the worst that can happen? And they're like, you know what, Luna, you put it that way, you're right. So I'm just going to keep pressing forward. All right. I love that. And I love that. What's the worst that can happen? I, I think it just needs to be asked more often than not, because I think once you face it, the answer, 
it's usually not that bad. Yeah, you keep yeah. asking yourself that. So what's the worst that can happen? And you, in the first thing that comes up, you write it down. Now, now what's still? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And you know, so I go through that a couple of times with people. And after they go through it, they write it down and they write it down two or three times. All the worst things they put them on a piece of paper. I'm like, so look at them. How bad is that? Awesome, awesome. Now, if people want to find out more, they want to buy the book. Where can they uh, find you? And also, where can they buy the book? Well, you can find me um, at, at one of two places, www.tenacityforlife.com, which is where you can learn more about the book. The book can be found at Amazon and many other, you know, great book chandleries. Yep. Um, and then for me, it's real simple. It's www.lusandoval.com. And there's links on both of those for, you know, cross links so you can get Absolutely. it. But, uh, but it's the easy way to get a hold of me or, you know, LinkedIn and different places. Too. For sure. So. Well, Lou, thank you so much for, you know, one, just pioneering and kind of paving the way for, for other Latinos to, to, to learn from your experiences, your mistakes, your triumphs, but coming in and sharing your story as well and being a part of this community. Thank you, Tony. I, I really appreciate it.